Last week we talked about mental health. And so I'm going to tell a story. I think I've told it maybe three or four times here in 11 years, but it might be my favorite story. It's, uh, so when I, was in, when I was in college, I was pre-med, and one of the things you had to do to get accepted into medical school is you had to get a recommendation letter from a doctor. And so my lab partner, I will not use his real name, uh, boy, I could tell you some stories of him. We, we actually did blow up the lab one time. It was really bad. He was, he was a character and a half. But it's, I'm not going to talk about him. I'm going I'm to refer to him as John Smith, just to protect <clears throat> the not-so-innocent. And so his dad was a doctor, and so I said, hey, John, can you hook me up with a recommendation letter from your dad? So he asked his dad, and he's like, hey, let me get to know Jim a little bit, and so let's play golf together. And so anyone who's ever uh, seen me play golf has never accused me of being a golfer. And I don't particularly enjoy the game. It really is a test of my salvation. And so, <clears throat> so, uh, so we go and we meet at the Beverly Hills Country Club in Detroit, which is very elite, very wealthy. And I'm kind of intimidated. And so we get there, and uh, Dr. Smith's like, Baker, where's your golf shoes? I'm like, I, I don't have any. He's like, oh. He's like, go in the locker room and get some golf shoes from somebody. I'm like, like are you allowed to do this? <laughs> like, I, you know, I'm like, so I steal somebody's shoes. And so we got there, and I'd never, in, uh, I'd never driven in a golf cart before. You know, I mean, I'd seen it in the movies. It looked like a lot of fun, you know, Caddyshack. Like, what could go wrong? And so, um, and so I'd never, like, hooked a golf bag in there before, and so I didn't put it in, right? So we take off, and the golf clubs go flying out the back. And Dr. Smith's looking like, like, who is this guy? Like, are you, are you kidding me? I'm, 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 you know, just, this is ner- nervous. So we get to the first hole, and the first hole, picture like 180 degree, like a half moon, a half circle of people all eating with their pinkies out, and, um, and you would uh, tee off on the first hole, and so they're all kind of sitting around you, watching you, critiquing you, and so uh, just so you know, in golf, they've got like the pro tees, which is the farthest from the hole, you've got the intermediate tees, and then you've got the ladies' tees, okay, and so they decide we're going to golf from the professional tees, the farthest one, so uh, Dr. Smith, straight down the fairway, uh, his son, straight down the fairway. The third guy was a guy who was legally blind. He could only see from his, uh, down to his toes. And so I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about him in a second. But like, literally, they're like turning him and, and so he just kills it. So I'm the fourth one to go. I'm just going to tell you how it happened. First one, swing and a miss. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, oh, like, Lord, receive my spirit, you know. And so um, <laughs> the next one, it does something interesting. I, I don't know. I didn't even know physically this was possible. It kind of defied the laws of physics. But I hit it and I shanked it unbelievably. It went 180 degrees. It went the direction my toes were pointing. It literally came probably about four or five feet from hitting somebody who was eating. I thought, oh my goodness. And, um, and so he says, hit again, hit again. I thought, oh gosh. So I, I tee up another ball and I hit it and it did kind of this top spin thing where it kind of just like seared across the grass. It was like a worm that was stuck his head up. It was like looking around. I think I took his head right off and it didn't even make it to the ladies' tees. <laughs> you know, I'm still on the T thing here. And so um, Dr. Smith says, um, Baker, take a mulligan. And I'm like, mulligan? I'm like, isn't that the guy who was shipwrecked on the island with the skipper and Ginger and Marianne? He's like, no, a mulligan. It means it doesn't count. It's a do-over. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty unforgiving game, but a mulligan is like this grace note in a likewise unforgiving game where it, it is not counted again. It's, it's like the final clause of the new covenant. I will no longer count your sins and trespasses against you. You get a mulligan on this one. So I'm like, this is amazing. So I picked up and we hit with him. And so my game's not going so well. Let's just put it that way. So by the time we got to, I think it was hole 13, it's a long par five that Arnold Palmer had actually got a 12 on. Okay, Arnold, like the really good golfer, so he's trying to get a five. He gets a 12 on this thing. So by the time we get there, I've lost all of my golf balls. I've hit them into the woods, and I'm now borrowing golf balls from Dr. Smith. It's so humbling, super embarrassing. 
And so I had hacked my way up to the, uh, close to the green, and there's something called the chip shot. So there's kind of like, I'm a, like a here, there's some sand, it goes up a hill, and then there's the hole. And so all you gotta do is just a, just a gentle shot, a small little loft, it rolls towards the hole, what could go wrong? I mean, it just sounds so easy, so. Oh, and this is the hole, there was a, there was a kind of a steep hill, and the, the blind guy's having the game of his life. <laughs> and so the whole time I'm hearing, Baker's getting beat by the blind guy, like, yeah, hey, 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 you know. It's, it's just, it does something to, to a man. You can only hear that for so many holes. And so, uh, the, but I felt like I had a little bit of revenge in it because uh, he couldn't see how steep the hole was, that one. And he went to walk up to it and he literally rolled back down the hill. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's a dark time. I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm not proud of these moments. I'm just telling you where I'm at. So this is what happened. And uh, I, again, I didn't know the laws of physics could actually do this, but this is what happened. I'm just gonna tell you what happened. So, um, you know, a gentle, gentle stroke back, lead with the left hand, you don't wanna pull with the right. Mm-hmm. So I'm pulling it and, it went, and I made contact with the ball, but apparently I didn't follow through fast enough. So it went chip, chip, I made contact a second time. <laughs> Honestly, I got you. And I flung the ball backwards 25 yards. Which distance-wise was actually one of my best shots of the day. That's what was super unfortunate. I remember turning to Dr. Smith, I'm like, how many mulligans do you get? I'm like, I'm, I'm burning through mulligans the way like the space shuttle burns through fuel trying to break through the atmosphere, right? You know, uh, it's interesting. Jesus, he, he approaches this whole issue of forgiveness. And Peter's basically asking the same question here, Matthew uh, 18, 21. Then Peter came to Jesus, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many mulligans should I give my brother? I mean, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, Peter, he thinks he's being big and gracious here. Uh, Jewish law, not biblical law, Jewish law said you forgive somebody seven times, or forgive somebody three times. So Peter's like, I'm going to double it. I'm going to add one. So he feels like he's being magnanimous. He's just being this amazing, amazing person. Here's Jesus' answer in verse 22. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, how many of you guys realize Jesus isn't giving like an exact count? You're like, all right. <laughs> yeah, like you're getting close. You're almost to the end. You're in this, the low 70s. And no, no like he, it's not like a matter. He's just saying, listen, Jesus, Jesus is basically saying, Peter, if you're, keeping scout, if you're keeping count, you're missing the whole point. Right? Holding on to unforgiveness is just delaying revenge. And so here's what Jesus does. He's going to tell this story, and he's going to pull back the curtain and say, here's what forgiveness looks like in the kingdom of heaven. He's going to show us this ultimate reality of how it works in his kingdom. So verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like, again, he's showing it, this is what it's like in my world. Here's how it operates. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, a lot of scholars believe in order to rack up this kind of debt, you would have had to be embezzling from the king. And so 10,000 talents, uh, one talent was worth about 20 years worth of wages. One talent, 20 years worth of wages. He owes 10,000 talents. Okay, and so uh, some uh, scholars estimate that would be about $14 billion. So imagine an hourly worker owing $14 billion, it's, it's going to be, he's going to need to live a really long time, right, in order to pay this back. But it's actually probably even more than that, because what they do is uh, Jesus takes the largest number in Greek and makes it plural. Okay, so it's like, think of the biggest number, and it's even bigger than that. So we might even say, the guy owes zillions of dollars. We're talking like, like national debt. We're talking like trade deficit. 
We're talking like the amount of money that the politicians are about to start spending on political ads. Like that kind of money, like obscene levels. I thought that was funnier than that, but all right. <laughs> the idea is uh, this guy has a debt that he could never pay. And Jesus is just using masterful language to paint that. Verse 25, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Can you imagine this guy's fear and humiliation? I mean, he's the one who's blown it, but now it's going to affect his whole family. Because here's how it worked back in the ancient Near East, is if you uh, could not repay the debt, then they would sell your kids. And if that didn't cover it, it would be go uh, generation to generation. This guy has just enslaved and ruined his family for generations and generations. So the sentence is read, sell everything he owns sell him into slavery, sell his wife, sell his kids, sell his children's children until that unpayable debt is repaid. Case closed, take him away, next item of business. And then something interesting happens here in verse 26. The servant fell on his knees before him. And here's what he says. I want you to remember these words. They're going to come again in the, in the, later in the story. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master had compassion on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Unbelievable. This king, he's probably seen it all. He's heard it all. He's heard all the excuses, all these type of things. And as it says, but that's not what God it says. The king feels compassion. Somehow he just looks at this crooked embezzler. Compassion fills his heart. And uh, he brings this embezzler to his feet. And he says, listen, get up off of your feet here. You're not going to be a slave. You're not going to lose your family. You don't have to pay back the unpayable debt. I want you, I want you to notice what's going on here, though. Um, in order to understand what Jesus is telling us, he's helping us understand things from God's perspective. When the owner forgave the debt, you guys understand, the money, the debt didn't just disappear. Somebody had to absorb the debt. Okay, like if someone owes you money and you forgive it, you're the one who takes the hit, right? It doesn't just, just magically vaporize. Forgiveness always costs. Okay, so let's just make sure we're understanding what's going on in the story. Who's the king in the story? The king is God. The other main character in the story, the embezzler. Who's the embezzler? It's you and me. We're the ones who have racked up an unimaginable amount of debt before a holy God. I want you to think about this. Every time you were less than honest, every time you fudged on your taxes or an expense report, or you cheated on an exam, or you're unloving towards a five-year-old, every time you shouldn't have made that cutting remark, but you went ahead and made it, every time you should have spoken in love, but you refused, Every time you refuse to be grateful, every time you gossiped, every selfish act, every racist joke, every sexually impure thought, every judgmental attitude, every time you took a little grudge and you nursed it and nursed it, you're adding to that mountain of moral debt. Now listen, I'm a pastor. I've devoted my life to helping people spiritually grow, and it took me about 30 seconds to come up with that list. You know why? Because I work with Sean O'Rourke, and he's done everything on that list. Yes. I'm teasing, no booing, no hissing, I'm teasing. <laughs> let's, let's be clear on all of this. That list is you, and that list is me. And we could add to it. Every one of us had an unpayable debt before God, and our only hope was to throw... Sorry, <laughs> I wrote that this morning, I was cracking up. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. <laughs> As every single one of us has that debt before God that just, there's no way we could ever repay. We couldn't be good enough. We couldn't do that. Our only hope was to throw ourselves on the mercy of the court and trust the king's compassion. 
So let's get back to the story here. The embezzler, he's off the hook. I mean, he owes his life, his freedom, his family, his posterity, his generations. He owes it to the goodness of the king. So I'm sure everyone in the story is like, what is this guy's life going to look like now? What's chapter 2 going to look like now that he's had this unbelievable forgiveness? Verse 28. But when the servant went out, this is the servant who just got forgiven. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii. So picture a couple thousand bucks. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Verse 29, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. He's using the exact same words that he used as the king. I mean, does that sound familiar here? Here's the thing. When you owe 10,000 talents of gold, it's unpayable. When you owe 100 denarii, it's completely payable. That's a more realistic amount of money here. Jesus couldn't have made, made it any clearer. God is no longer collecting debts from us, which means we can no longer collect debts from each other. Like Jim, but they really hurt me. Forgiveness costs. I get it. It's going to cost you more to hold on to it. We'll get to that in just a second. Verse 30, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Here's the truth, guys. Authentic forgiveness is never cheap. When you get hurt and it's deep and it's unfair and that person has done you wrong, you want them to feel the pain that they've inflicted you. You want them to know what they've done to you and you want it with a little bit of interest. You want them to pay. And um, it's just human nature. There's a story in the LA Times. There's this guy named uh, Dave Hackler who is a writer, but also he's an umpire uh, for a baseball league. And he writes this story. I was driving too fast in the snow in Boulder, Colorado, going too fast, and a policeman pulled me over and gave me a speeding ticket. I tried to talk him out of it. I told him how worried I was about insurance. I'm normally a very safe driver. I explained why I was in a hurry and so on. He said, if I didn't like the ticket, then I could go to court. First game of the next baseball season, next summer, I'm umpiring behind home plate. Guess who the first batter up is? It's the same guy, the policeman. I recognize him. He recognizes me. He asked me, so how'd the thing with the ticket go? I tell him, you better swing at every pitch. I mean, that's just like human nature, isn't it? It's like the dream scenario. It's like someone who has offended you, and now you are the umpire over their life. I mean, it's just, we just dream of these revenge scenarios, these fantasy scenarios, and we can just say, you better swing at everything. Listen, guys, I, I understand. Some of you here, you've uh, you got uh, stories of abuse that just would blow anybody's mind. Some here, you've been cheated, you've been betrayed, you've been deeply wounded. Some of you are in a financial situation that is of no fault of your own. Someone's raked you over the coals. Uh, maybe there's a situation at work where you've been unfairly treated. There's racism, whatever's going on there. Uh, some of you have been in a relationship where you gave somebody your trust and they just absolutely betrayed you. You've been hurt and it's deep and it's personal and it's unfair. Someone has run up a moral debt against you and you know they amount to the penny. And you're saying right now, you're saying, yeah, but I know what's going to happen. If I forgive him, it means that I'm going to have to swallow the debt. I'm going to have to pay the cost. Here's the thing. The cost is not you not being able to hurt them back. The cost is it's going to kill you if you hold on to this thing. When you're cutting that person free, the person who's being cut free is you because they're still attached to you. Listen to what it costs you, verse 32. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had, the mercy, had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? 
In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. Here's the next part of the verse. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. That doesn't even sound like Bible. That's in the red letters. Everyone who refuses to forgive will discover their inner tormentor. The king says, listen, I was willing to take the loss for you, but you don't want what I offer. I showed you forgiveness, but you wouldn't give it. I offered you grace, but you wouldn't extend it. You've rejected what I have to give. I have nothing left to give you. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus, he's just pulling back the curtain on reality. And he says, listen, this is how it works in the kingdom. You have to be willing to give forgiveness to continue to receive forgiveness. And when you stop that, this flow stops, and now you're turned over the tormentors. You open yourself to the demonic. Listen, I, I have some people ask, you know, like, um, you know, Jim, can a Christian have a demon? And I love John Wimber's answer. Uh, he says, I don't know why anyone would want one. They make terrible pets. <laughs> so I don't know if a Christian can be, like, you know, oppressed or possessed or impressed or, you know, like compressed. Like, I'll, like, I don't know what level it is, but here's what the Bible says. It says, do not give the devil a foothold. He's, that was written to believers, so it tells me that a believer can give a level of influence over to the devil. And so I, I don't work with, you know, this kind of stuff a ton, but the people that I've seen who are most demonically oppressed, and um, I worked at a psych ward for years, and uh, it typically fell into one of three categories. Lots of categories, but the three, like the most scary, severe type of people were those who did drugs, specifically hallucinogenic drugs. There's something about that that opens you up to the demonic realm. It's not good. Uh, sexual sin, particularly perversion that is repeated. It just opens up the demonic. And the third one, and probably the most scary people, was uh, the ones who had unforgiveness in their heart. Uh, here's, here's what Hebrews 12 says. It says, the person who has unforgiveness, it leads to a bitter root, and it defiles the person. Bill Johnson describes bitterness as the spirit of murder in diapers. Whether it becomes a violent act or not is not the point. It's what happens to the heart of a bitter person. It defiles a person. It defiles me. It defiles everybody under my influence. But it does nothing to the person I'm bitter at. You guys understand? I, I, someone said this. It said, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. What happens? You're cut off from that forgiveness flow, and now you're open up to the demonic, and it's those torturers. You're tormented. Your thoughts keep going back to that person. You're not free because those thoughts keep coming back to them, and you're, you're trying to get away from it. And Unforgiveness is a relentless prison guard that tortures you night and day. Here's the good news. Forgiveness enables you to get on with your life and causes your enemies to no longer have any power over you. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from heart. You're like, Jim, that's kind of harsh. You know, maybe you're taking that out of context. Surely it doesn't mean that. Well, the context was forgiveness. But listen to that. Remember the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, who art in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. Like, we love all that stuff, right? What's part of it? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There's something about just starting off the day, recognizing, God, I'm going to be the kind of person who is forgiving from the front end. You're just recognizing, God, I'm, like, like, I don't have any offenses, but if they come, God, I'm going to be quick to forgive. And then here's, here's how I love another verse says this, do not let the sun go down in your anger. So we're starting off the morning with, Lord, forgive us our debts as I forgive our debts. I'm, I'm intentionally becoming a forgiving person. And at the end of the day, something is stuck. 
I'm going to get rid of that thing because I don't want it to get a bitter root. I don't want it to get... Here's another verse says that um, bitterness rots the bones. There now have medical studies that are showing that uh, the, uh, your body cannot physically handle the stress of unforgiveness. They're tying arthritis to it. I'm not saying if you have arthritis that it's unforgiveness. I'm just saying there's studies that are linking specific negative emotions to medical conditions. Uh, Mary and I know of a, a girl, she had uh, such unforgiveness in her heart. Okay, do not, I'm about to tell a story. Do not hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying everybody who has miscarriages has unforgiveness. This girl had such bitterness in her heart. She kept having miscarriages. And finally the Lord says, until you forgive, your body's not going to be able to handle that life. So she came to this person, humbled herself, said, listen, I have had bad thoughts about you. I've done this and that. Will you please forgive me? Listen, guys, when you forgive somebody, you don't need to go up to them and say, I forgive you. Okay, it's between you and God. You don't need to go. You're such a horrible person, and I'm so amazing. I forgive. It's not about that. But this person needed to say, listen, I was the one at fault. You didn't do anything. I had these things. Will you please forgive me? And when that person forgave them, the grace of God entered her body, and she was able to have twins and more kids and stuff like that. Guys, like... Bitterness defiles. It rots the bones. It does something to you. So listen to the very next verse after the Lord's Prayer. You know, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Next verse. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Hmm, I like that. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Is that that really in the Bible? It doesn't even sound Christian, does it? These verses are so strong and so clear, I hate to give too much interpretation. I hate to even try to explain them too much. Just let the weight of that sit on you. I remember I was praying about this one time, and the Lord gave me this picture about what unforgiveness is like. So in a second, I'm going to ask everyone to take a deep breath and to hold your breath, but I promise I won't have you hold it very long. Okay? So being forgiven is like taking a huge, fresh breath of grace. Everybody inhale. Forgiveness is like the air in your lungs. Now exhale. So when you receive forgiveness, it's inhaling. When you uh, give forgiveness, it's exhaling. Now imagine this scenario. The person who has offended you, they've hurt you, they've done wrong, you're holding unforgiveness against. They're in front of you, and they are passed out, and they need CPR. And you're standing in front of them, and you've received forgiveness. You've received God's goodness. You're holding in this fresh breath of grace. But if you will not give them that kiss of life, that very breath that gave you life will kill you. Jesus is just pulling back the curtain and saying, this is how it works. If you're not willing to give away what you've been given, you cut yourself off from a flow and you open yourself to the demonic and it's not going to be good from there. And so you've got to choose, guys. Uh, vengeance or mercy. Prison or freedom. Hatred or grace. Life or death. It's literally up to you. If you don't forgive, you remain in bondage to your offender you give the enemy a foothold in your life, and you cut yourself off from forgiveness and suffocate yourself. You say, Jim, why should I let them off the hook? Guys, that's the whole problem. You're still hooked to them. The problem is they're still hurting you. You stop the pain so that you can be free. You forgive so that you can be set free and stop the pain. So before, let me, before I'm going to walk you through an exercise in forgiveness here, but before we do that, and some of you are still struggling with it, it's okay. We're going we're gonna to take it to the Lord here in just a second. But forgiveness does not mean that we tolerate what the person was doing to hurt us. 
It doesn't mean like, hey, that's okay. It was just a big misunderstanding. Listen, abuse is always wrong. Lying is always wrong. Stealing is always wrong. None of that stuff's okay. But it means I'm not going to be controlled by the sins of another person anymore. It's still sin. It's still wrong. Uh, Another foolish phrase that we're told is just forgive and forget. Like this new life from God is some form of Christian amnesia. Okay? Forgiving means that you can still remember the incident, but the poison's been drained out of it. And it is poison. The event's part of our history, but I'm now able to live in today without my past affecting me. This has got to be a supernatural thing. I'm not going to ask you to do this in your own willpower. You've got to also distinguish between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness can happen in an instant. Trust is built over time. It takes one person to forgive. It takes two to reconcile. They still may be acting crazy. You don't need to get in relationship with crazy. Some of you are like, but they're my family. You don't need to be in a relationship with crazy. You can still love them. Somebody just got set free there. (laughs) Just because we forgive those who hurt us, and in some cases they are still hurting us, does not mean we must become friends. It's possible you will never be close to this person. Okay? To forgive the child molester does not mean that we ask him to babysit our children. To forgive an emotionally abusive mother does not mean we have to have her in the house every week to continue her verbal destruction. It does not mean that the wife being physically abused keeps taking punches. It does not mean that you surrender your rights to justice. If someone stole from you, they can go to jail, and you can forgive them on their way to jail. If a husband is hitting you, get a paper trail from the police. All right. So what is forgiveness? Here's what the word simply means. It means to send away to release a person. You're saying, God, I'm releasing them into your care. I'm releasing them into your hands. I can't carry this, but Lord, it's for my part, I'm free from this person. And you choose, you're choosing, I'm no longer going to be their judge. In case you missed it, this was a one-point sermon. Here's the point. The key to forgiveness is to stop focusing on what others have done to us and to focus on what Jesus has done for us. Guys, there would not be an unforgiving person in the world if we had clarity and saw that 10,000 talents that we've been forgiven. If we saw clearly how much we've been forgiven, we wouldn't be able to go and forgive. By looking at what he did for us, here's one way you could say it. Do unto others as God has done to you. It's not just giving them a mulligan, it's tearing up the scorecard. Okay, so here's what I want to do. I'm done with the message, can you believe that? I know. Here's what I want to do. I want us, I want us to walk through an exercise with the Lord, but I want us to do it in the presence of God. Okay, this is literally life and death for some people. This is, some of you, it's time to break this. Bitterness has almost become a noble thing in the political arena. Guys, some of you are going to need to stop watching the newscasts that are drawing you into that offense. Because that offense leads to that that unforgiveness and that looking down on that person and that bitter root takes hold and bitter people can't be trusted. A person who's bitter, you can kind of tolerate them from a distance, but you don't trust them. You're going to lose your influence if you're bitter. We're not talking about other people. You're not getting other people in your mind right now. This is, Holy Spirit, show me if I've got anything. You may not have anything. Wonderful, but these will just give you the tools. Okay, so you guys ready? So let's just start with this. Just close your eyes and just, Holy Spirit, Just maybe say something like this. I know I did not deserve your forgiveness, but you forgave me. Thank you.
It's just between you and God. Just look at Jesus and say, God, I, I, I didn't do anything kind to deserve it. You gave it to me freely. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we're so thankful for the cross. We're thankful for the thorns. We're thankful for the stripes in your back. We're thankful for the nails in your hands and feet. We're thankful for the humiliation of being naked. We're thankful for the spear in the side. God, we're, we're, we're thankful for what you went through so that we don't have to carry that shame. We don't have to carry that separation from the Father. We don't have to carry the price for our sin. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Here's what I want you to do. Ask God to bring to mind those person or persons whom you need to forgive. You're probably going to experience a rush of those feelings again, and that's good. When you feel that emotion, now you can forgive from the heart. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell the Lord how that violator made you feel. Just pour out your heart to him. Now, here's where it all turns. Say, Holy Spirit, show me how you view and experience this person. Show me how you see this person. And ask him for his compassion for that person. Jesus prayed a prayer on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Guys, if someone saw from heaven's perspective the damage that they have done, the amount that they've been forgiven, they didn't know what they were doing. So let's pray a prayer of forgiveness for them. So just between you and the Lord, you don't have to pray this out loud. You can mumble it to yourself if you want. Lord Jesus, I forgive, and then put their name in there. Lord Jesus, I forgive, put the name in there, for, and then specifically identify the offenses and the painful memories. Lord, I forgive them. They didn't know what they were doing. I give you both the offense and the hurt. Please take them away and provide me with your peace. I ask that you would allow your goodness to work in their heart. If they have children, that their children would come to know you. In Jesus' name.